Hello, welcome to the Jew3 Project Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew3 Project. Well, thank you for watching another Google Hangout with the Jew3 Project. Uh, this will be uh, on iTunes and audio format video for Facebook and um, YouTube. So, and it'll be on Google Play. So it'll be everywhere. So you can't miss it. We're trying to hit you in every direction. So today, as always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the G3 Project. And today we're joined by a very special guest, uh, soon to be Dr. Walter Strickland. <laughs> um, welcome, Walter. Thanks for having me, Lisa. <laughs> Thanks for agreeing to be on the podcast. Um, mm -hmm. For those who don't know who you are, can you give them just a little bit about you, about yourself? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Walter Strickland, I serve at Southeastern Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina, as special advisor to the president for diversity, which is basically chief diversity officer here on campus. And then I also serve as a uh, professor of theology. And so I teach anything from systematic theologies to liberation theologies to, to contextual global theologies. And um, I've been doing that for about, this is my fourth academic year doing that. Um, born in Chicago, raised in Southern California, came through college in Ohio, ended up in uh, North Carolina. Uh, so sort of a whirlwind through the country, uh, mm -hmm. having been in rural contexts, urban contexts, and just sort of my head spinning with it all. And so I'm trying to put it all together. And so uh, just grateful to be here today. Awesome. Awesome. So we're going to talk about um, somebody that we both admire. Um, yes. Dr. J. Dotis Roberts. Am I saying I always? Am I saying the middle name right? Because I oh, feel yeah. like I always say it wrong. Okay. J. Dotis <laughs> Roberts. J. Dotis Roberts. Either way, tomato, tomato. <laughs> just so close. Um, for those who don't know, um, he's kind of like um, underrated um, amongst a lot of black uh, theologians. A lot of people don't know who he is. Um, people are familiar with Cone, but they're not necessarily familiar with who he is. I actually stumbled across him by accident. Oh, so while I was doing a paper <laughs> in seminary, and um, I was researching black theology and came came across his name and bought a book and fell in love with him. And um, mm -hmm. I've been trying to read everything he has ever since. So for those who don't know who he is, could you give a little bit of background? Yeah, definitely. So um, J.D. Otis Roberts, he's a uh, uh, basically what he's in what Dwight Hopkins calls the first generation of black theologians. Um, essentially, the, these cats begin to write in 1969, beginning with uh, James Cone's Black Theology and Black Power, and sort of went up to uh, the second generation, which started in 79 with the publication of Jacqueline Grant's and Cornel West's essay, sort of critiquing Black Theology along the lines of Marxist theory and uh, gender lines. And so, <clears throat> so basically, he's a part of that first wave that foundational generation of black theologians. And so, um, as you said, Lisa, oftentimes what happens is, is that people get wind of Cone, mm -hmm. primarily because he is considered the godfather of black liberation theology. He, um, he's prolific, he's written monograph after monograph, like hitting you every year, especially in the beginnings of the movement. Uh, and then also, uh, most recently, he came out with a, I think is his most beautiful monograph, which is um, The Cross and the Lynching Tree. If you have not gotten that, you need to read that. It'll challenge you. It'll stretch you. You may agree with more or less of what he says, but either way, you'll be blessed by that. And so people uh, 
have sort of latched on the cone because he's more of a lightning rod. He is intentionally trying to wed the Christian faith of Martin Luther King with the black power of uh, Malcolm X, hence his book, uh, Martin and Malcolm in America, A Dream or a Nightmare. And so because of that, he's this sort of seminal, powerful figure, almost like a wrecking ball, right? Mm-hmm. He is sort of trying to deconstruct and blow up this sort of uh, stranglehold that uh, white men have had on uh, academic theology in America. And so what you have after that, you have a, so um, in 69, Black Theology and Black Power came out. And then uh, as sort of a response, J.D.O. Tess Roberts comes along in 1971 and publishes uh, Liberation and Reconciliation. Which I love that book. Yeah, which is my favorite theological book of all time. You need to pick up Liberation and Reconciliation. Um, It'll be, it's just as applicable as it was then for it is now because there's, it's the same, same, but different, as they say, uh, out in the Far East. And so with the issues that are going on today in America, uh, that book is as relevant and as timely as anything. And so he wrote that book. And what he's trying to do is that he's trying to wed the necessity of liberation. He's saying there is systemic oppression. There's personal prejudice in America that are really oppressing black people. But he says, you know what? We need to pursue liberation for the sake of being uh, restored to one another, to be reconciled to one another. And he says, you can only be restored if you're actually considered an equal. Mm-hmm. And so he's really trying to get at, okay, yes, liberation first, but for the sake of, restora- of reconciliation, and we can't do anything for the sake of liberation that will hinder reconciliation. Granted, he's not mm-hmm. saying that you can't do anything and yet you can't make anybody mad ever, but what he is saying is that there's a there's a, a bigger goal in mind than simply liberation for liberation's sake. And so J.D. Otis Roberts is a is um, what Dwight Hopkins calls in his introductory to a black theology, theology liberation, the theologian of balance. Mm-hmm. And you see that in uh, liberation and reconciliation because he's so tied to the church. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he's doing this so that he might be able to influence the people of God, not just the black people of God but the entire people of God. And so mm-hmm. he's, he's doing a lot of work in there to be able to work this out. And so um, I know this is a longer introduction than you might've wanted, but I'm, I'm, I'm oh, no, playing right now. And so uh, part of that comes from the fact of, of his education is so broad. He got his mm-hmm. PhD from the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. So he had that sort of international experience as he was getting educated, pastored a Scottish church after they threatened him for, for his life the first time that he walked into the, into the door because they actually called his doctoral supervisor, said, hey, we need, a, we need a, a, a pastor to fill our pulpit. He says, perfect, I got a, I got a PhD student who is a great minister of the word. He sends Idiotis Roberts down to this church. They kick him out. He and the professor come back next time, and the professor says, if you don't let him preach, then it's on, basically. So then uh, Roberts preaches, and uh, they said, wow, he can actually expound the word. Surprise, surprise, I guess, because he's a black man, but <laughs> uh, through the Scottish lens. And then he ended up pastoring that church while he was in, uh, while he was doing his PhD in, in uh, Edinburgh. And then, but before that, he has degrees, multiple degrees from historically black colleges and, and universities as well. And so, and he's very much rooted in that, uh, in that sort of, uh, in, in that life, in that world as well. So he has this sort of, interesting interaction uh, rooted in uh, in the black experience, educated in an HBCU, but then also having some education uh, in Europe. 
And so he's just a really interesting cat that I think many of us can, can learn a lot from. Yeah. And I think um, as I was reading through um, Liberation and Reconciliation, one of the things that as I was, because, you know, I'm, I'm very passionate about apologetics, but that mm -hmm. can act as an apologetic um, a book and a guide because he talks about why classical apologetics isn't really effective in the black community because the existence of God isn't really at question. And exactly. so while classical apologetics focuses on God's existence, we have trouble with not his existence. We believe he exists, but his character. Yes, why does he yes. allow suffering? The problem of evil is more pressing. So that's why I think he was he was saying those theological arguments in the book. Um, he says this um, kind of I'm kind of summarizing, but those theological arguments aren't relevant in the African-American context. While there he does acknowledge there are some black people who are atheists. But the most pressing issue is the character issue, the character mm -hmm. of God. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh -huh. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, cause, well, you know, I, I remember because I was sitting with him at a at, at a restaurant maybe a year and a half ago, and he was saying that he came from Europe, from University of Edinburgh, with his sort of classical apologetic training, and then mm -hmm. he began to present uh, a seminar to local pastors in the D.C. area because he was at Howard Divinity School at the time, and he said that he began to answer all these um, or to give all these arguments for the existence of God, and mm -hmm. then about midway through, which is about an hour and a half or two hours. He asked some of the pastors how, you know, is, is this helpful or whatnot? And they're like, well, it is. It's, it's good information, but it's not information that's pertinent to our ministries because they're asking the question that you said, well, what's the character of God if he's allowing these circumstances to, to go on like this in America? We're not asking if he, if he's, if he exists. And so that right there actually sort of changed the way that he began to write, changed the way that he began to talk about apologetics and, and, and about God because he's answering a set of questions that's contextualized for the black context. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And he kind of brings, I love, because when I was reading through him and he, he critiques Cone um, and he gives the same critique to Cone that I've, I've given many times. And I was like, as I'm reading, I'm like, you get it. Like the <laughs> extreme, you know, of it. Um, he brings the balance knowing that we need liberation, but like you said, we need reconciliation right. as well. And in a sense, Cone, both of them are bringing a, an apologetic for the Christian faith to the black power movement, in a sense. Um, but he just, Cone, I believe, goes kind of a little far left than I would like to go. And he kind of brings it, reels Cone back in. Yeah, um, definitely, definitely. So, so um, something I thought was helpful is that when, uh, when we see Cone interacting with the black power movement, he allows that ideology to really engulf his uh, his theology mm -hmm. and inform his theology, as opposed to his Christianity informing how he might utilize some of the uh, helpful elements of the Black Power movement. Because the Black Power movement is it's not completely broken; it's just things in there mixed in that the Christian faith would would call into question. But he he allows it to be the other way around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What would you outside of? Uh, liberation and reconciliation what is the most um impactful book by him that you've read oh man so can, can i can i do two mm -hmm. <laughs> so I, I really do like uh um his second book i think it was written in 73 a black political theology mm -hmm. uh, and, and in that he really unpacks um the public sort of face of his way of doing black theology 
And again, he's sort of, you know, as you said, he's sort of locking horns with Cone, trying to figure out how do you how do you work this out? Because for him, he knows that he's less appealing to young people who want to be more militant. You know, he, he's he, he's he's trying to say, you know what, uh, I understand your frustration. I understand why you're out on the streets with bricks and why you, you know, why you're why you're uh, angry. But at the same time, my Christian faith is dominant over my, you know, my, my desire to do those sorts of things. So he says, protest, yes, but in a way that's aligned with the Christian scripture. And so he just really maps that out. He really gives us an ethic driven by eschatology, saying, you know what, if we are going for this eschatological kingdom, this sort of end times kingdom that God is going to bring uh, you know, about in the future, then what we have to do is live in light of that. And that kingdom gives us an ethic basically a means of interacting in public space to bring about liberation that needs to cohere with what's going to be become in, in the sweet by and by. And so, which Cone, by contrast, he didn't really have an eschatology to drive that because he got rid of eschatology because it was abused to keep slaves docile. And mm-hmm. so that's one thing that uh, Roberts does is to atta- attach his ethic to a kingdom ethic that really helped him, and he's, you see that all throughout a black political theology. The second one is um, the prophethood of black believers, which is a—I mean, people don't really know this book as much, but I love it because he's really uh, marching out what it means to have a practical black theology. And he's talking about the family. He's talking about uh, incarceration at high rates. He's talking about drugs. He's talking about, um, you know. Uh, the uh, relationship between the church and the state, and all these sorts of things too. So uh, it's it's a very it's a very pra- it's a more practical book than a liberation and reconciliation or a black uh, political theology, uh, but it's it's just very helpful. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something critical when you were talking about his uh, political book, um, the eschatology component, because uh, most people who I think have adopted Cone's theology might you know have a more universalist. Uh, point of view in relationship to eschatology. Would you agree with that assessment? Yeah, yeah. I would say that their their eschatology, their soteriology, the doctrine of salvation, mm-hmm. sort of come together, and it's really mm-hmm. this. Um, if you are, it's so so. Yeah, that's a big ball of wax, Lisa. I mean, and that's and that's <laughs> so. I don't even know where to start. We got to pull back. Okay, no, got to pull back farther. Okay, got to pull back farther because yeah. So what what happens in Cone's um, even Christology is that if you are black. It sort of cohering with the blackness of the Christ as he perceives it, then you are saved, which to be black is to be oppressed or mm-hmm. to align yourself with the oppressed. And so really it's this oppression, uh, liberation sort of binary that dictates salvation. And so if you are, uh, in a sense, uh, working with the oppressed, doing the bidding of God who, who manifests himself as a black Christ, then you can, uh, be a part of this of this kingdom, you know. Mm-hmm. Then you're saved, and so and really, um, so it's it's it is a universalist idea in the sense that Christ is not at the center of what it means to be saved in a sort of penal substitutionary sort of model, which is like you know what Protestants uh, you know often sort of cohere you know uh, go back to, uh, mm-hmm. or and even in the substitutionary model, just not even penal substitution, but it's really along the lines of um do you identify with christ in his blackness mm-hmm. so 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 uh 
so anyway, so a lot of those themes that you normally see in Protestant theology have sort of gone by the wayside. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's more of a black and white thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Which is, which is interesting because it, I've, I feel like it kind of, in, in the universalist perspective, and then kind of this, this kind of, you know, we focus on the now because there is no essentially heaven or hell to come in a sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a weak eschatology because it robs God essentially of justice. And it, to me, it focuses on making God just in the here and now when we look at slavery and all of those oppressive behaviors. If God is not just in those situations, then justice essentially is hopeless because there's no punishment for those who have done evil and gotten away with it in a sense. Um, you know, and yeah, yeah, that, that's that's perfect. I mean, so I love the way you said that because essentially what you see in between a uh, cone and a Roberts is that you have somebody in cone who needs to get justice now mm -hmm. and doing so through the sort of ideological imperatives of black power. Mm -hmm. And then you see a Roberts who says, you know what, God is just, he will have the last say in this. And so in the end, in the kingdom, he'll make all things right. Mm -hmm. Not that he, not that we shouldn't pursue justice and liberation now, but it will come about perfectly, uh, and then God Himself will bring that about. And so, and, mm -hmm. and so, and also, if if you're reading like broadly in the uh, conversation of Black theology, you'll read someone uh, like a William R. Jones, who wrote uh, the, the the book "Is God a White Racist?" Mm -hmm. And he, in that book, was basically critiquing Cone. Uh, Roberts, um, Gayride Wilmore, and other first-generation Black theologians of being blind, uh, of assuming that God is for them, mm -hmm. assuming that God is a God of liberation. So, so for him, he was saying, you know what? What we need to have, because we don't know if God actually is a God who, of grace or a God who's good, a God who loves Black people. He says we need to have a uh, uh, a human-centric theism. And, and he would define that as a last step towards going to straight humanism, you know, without God. But basically, we need to act on God's behalf in the now to bring about justice because we don't know if he's actually going to do it himself. Mm -hmm. And then later in Anthony Penn, who's now at Rice University, would take that a little bit further and actually become a full-blown humanist. And so that's a – I'm not a fan of the slippery slope argument, but looking back at history, we can see, you know, Cohen is sort of – dabbling with, okay, I need to take this sort of uh, justice onto my own, in my own hands and justify it theologically through the ideological imperatives of the black power movement. And then we see a William R. Jones a little bit later saying, well, I don't think God is even good. So then we have to do this by ourselves or God is, you know, a God who is loving. So we have to do this by ourselves. And then you see an Anthony Penn later saying, you know what, God's not even there. Let's just do this now and, and pursue uh, justice. And, uh, and pursue liberation by any means necessary because God is not even a part of the equation. Mm -hmm. And we're not strong enough to execute justice on us on our own. Um, <laughs> we don't have that capacity. So we need mm -hmm. the, the working, obviously we, we pursue justice on earth, but we take comfort in the fact that at the end, God will make all things right. Exactly. Um, and so like you said, that's why Roberts is so important to me because I feel like he captures the both ends. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so um, what else would you want people to know about Roberts? Yeah, yeah. So something that I think is very, very important about Roberts is that he has an eye, as I mentioned before, towards not only black people, but towards just 
all people in general. So one thing that you see in theologians who are contextual theologians or liberation theologians oftentimes is that they're so focused on their own context that they lose the fact that God is doing a work that's bigger than their context. Mm-hmm. Or you see uh, theologians who are so non-contextual that they're so theoretical that their theology is no good on the ground. Mm-hmm. And so those are two extremes that are very unhealthy. What Roberts does that's brilliant, he says that there's a universal and particular understanding of who God is. And he says, you know, particularly in my context, which is the black experience, I see God doing these things. And he sort of just walks through that all these things that God is doing to uh, restore all the brokenness in creation. And mm-hmm. so, and he says that we need to be about that in these ways. And so he sort of outlines how to do that. But while he's very, very focused and very intentional about getting with all the particulars of the black context, interacting with black power, inter- interacting with James Cone, interacting with uh, Martin Luther King Jr., interacting with the black experience as it's articulated by Stokely, Carm- Stokely Carmichael, Malcolm X, he is with that. He knows that intimately. But at the mm-hmm. same time, he doesn't make that uh, his whole Christian world because because he was a missionary, because he was teaching at divinity schools in South America as he was writing all these things in the black context, as he was lecturing, you know, in um, in the Far East, in Africa, in Europe. At the same time, he was able to say God is doing a work in my context. And so I have to talk about it. But at the same time, God is doing a universal work. And so for him. Uh, to talk about Christology and the blackness of Christ, he says, you know what, Jesus is not ontologically black. He is whoever you are, wherever you are. So God, to him, looks black. But for the for the person who's Asian, he looks Asian or Japanese specifically or Taiwanese or Chinese or the person who's African. God looks African because he meets you exactly where you are. And he's mm-hmm. restoring all of that brokenness where you are to be more like the kingdom that's to come granted that because we can't do it perfectly ourselves he will bring it about himself but you know he will meet each and every individual in that particular where they are but there is still these universal ideas of restoration there's these universal ideas that god is bringing about in every context but it looks a specific way in a specific context and so he does well to 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 not get caught up in their own context and to make God or Christ ontologically black, right? In his mm-hmm. essence, making him black so that he's therefore non-applicable to other Christians who are not black, but he mm-hmm. then escapes the other extreme of making Christ in his work and in, uh, in salvation so ethereal and so theory driven that it's no good to anybody in any context because you haven't done the work to apply it anywhere. So if there's anybody who has done the work of being of being a theologian of understanding the universal imperatives of the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, but also articulating it so clearly and so profoundly in any other context, I think J.D. Otis Roberts is it. Yes, I agree. I agree. Um, and all of his works are available at Amazon.com. So if you're trying to find his books, you could go on Amazon.com and all of them are there. Um, Walter, how can people get in contact with you um, to learn more about the work you're doing? Because you're not only studying Roberts, you're studying um, Black theology as a whole. Um, and you're 300 pages in your dissertation. 
<laughs> so I'm yeah. sure you have a lot of information for people. <laughs> um this is just scratch this only scratches the surface um yeah yeah what you're doing so how can people yeah. get in contact definitely, with you? definitely so uh twitter is the best way to, to keep up with what's going on uh walter or uh at w underscore strickland is how you can uh is, is my twitter handle um i'm also leading what we call the kingdom diversity initiative as chief diversity officer at southeastern seminary you can follow the kingdom diversity initiative uh at k underscore diversity uh, through both of those avenues, you're able to get a hold of me and get a hold of my staff. Uh, Malik Blade does a lot of great work around here. Um, and then, you know, and then I, as far as my website, walterstrickland.com is a essentially a place where I pull resources uh, in that if I speak somewhere, I'll, I'll put a link up. You know, uh, if I do, you know, excerpts from, from my books I've written, you know, I'll, I'll pop them up there. Um, and so they're, they're just helpful little tips. So I'm not, I'm not only talking about black theology, I'm talking about theology and culture, um, political theology. Uh, I, I finished a book and published a book on the doctrine of vocation, theology of work uh, in, in, in March. And so a lot of what Roberts talks about sort of informs how I think about work and the justice uh, that comes along with doing good work for the cause of the kingdom. So even in your vocations, you are a conduit of God's grace to those whom are uh, participating in the goods or services that you offer. And so uh, there's a lot about that up there too. And so I would just say Twitter and the website are probably the best way to, to get a hold of me. And then also wstrickland at sebts.edu is my email. Awesome. And there's a black church conference that's coming up um, in Wake yes, Forest. Yes. Where, uh, the Kingdom of Diversity is sponsoring. I'm going to be a part of it. Uh, and my other one of the people that work with G3, Cam Triggs, is going to be a part of it. Um, can you tell the people a little bit about the conference and how they can register? Yeah, definitely. So um, we're, we're hosting what's called the State of the Black Church Conference on October 28th. Uh, it's coming up very soon, basically raising a lot of uh, important questions that are being raised in the black church and in black Christianity uh, and answering those. Uh, and really, my fear is that people who are not black are thinking, OK, this is not a conference for me. Mm -hmm. Well, it actually is if you care about you know, reaching black people with the gospel. If you care about uh, bearing the burdens of your brothers and sisters in Christ who are different than you, this is a great way to figure out what those things are and how to interact uh, across racial lines in the body of Christ. And so um, not only by the fellowship that'll be had there, relationships built there, but also the content that'll be coming from the stage and from the different breakouts. And so the B.D. Anya Bule is gonna be here with us. Charlie Dates is going to be here with us. Lisa Fields of Dude 3 <laughs> Project is going to be with us. Um, we have, uh, who else? Um, Pastor Charles. Who's that? Pastor Charles. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> H.B. <laughs> Charles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, because I, I was getting Char Charlie Dates and Char in, uh, H.B. Charles. Yes, Pastor Charles is going to be there. Um, bishop Patrick Wooden. He's a bishop of, of in co the, the Kojic denomination. So, we got a lot of folks who are going to be with us. It's going to be a good, a good time. Jerome Gay is going to be with us, a local pastor here, uh, extremely articulate brother who's um, a church planner now that has an established church. And so it, it should, it should be a, a good time for people to come together, really chop it up about what's going on with the black church. And um, so I, I hope to see you there. Um, follow us at K underscore diversity, and you will be blessed with the opportunities to sign up. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Walter. I appreciate it.
No problem. It's, it's good to be with you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. You can catch all our past episodes at www.jude3project.com backslash podcast. You can follow us on iTunes by searching Jude 3 Project. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at Jude 3 Project, on Instagram at Jude 3 Project, and on Facebook at facebook.com. Um, backslash Jude 3 project and remember you can donate on our site so if this um, this podcast and this ministry is a blessing to you help support us financially um, by going on our website at jude3project.com and hitting the donate tab um, and donating consider donating to us thank you so much remember at the Jude 3 project we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it